following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Good morning. Let's turn to Psalm 136. We'll take a little break uh, as we approach Thanksgiving week together. It's a little break from um, Ecclesiastes. As you're turning there, I just want to put a little exclamation point on what Jordan said before, four o'clock this afternoon, before dinner time, uh, we will join together to pray. As Jordan said, praying both for the church, universal in a sense, but also for our own and our own city. As we know, we are called to lift one another up in intercession. So I call you to come out at four o'clock this afternoon to join with us and pray for with and with one another. All right, as we enter this week, Thursday, uh, we know we're welcoming you into the week of Thanksgiving. Um, not sure what that will look like exactly for your family, or maybe for your friends, or whatever it is, the type of uh, traditions that you have in this upcoming week, but I hope that you will enjoy that time, maybe of reflection, time with family or friends, hopefully, and some good food, and maybe even some rest, not sure. I, uh, I'm kind of a traditionalist when it comes to Thanksgiving. Like, I, 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 I like the traditional Thanksgiving food. I mean, who am I joking? I, I love the Thanksgiving food. Um, I, I enjoy the autumn colors, right? The, the, the leaves that are turning these golden colors and, and orange and red, and it's amazing. As death happens to all these leaves, they become brilliant and gorgeous. Um, I love that stuff. Um, I even like Thanksgiving Day to be a, a bit chilly, uh, I know maybe I'm a weirdo. I'm a little bit from the north. I, I recognize that. But I like it so that you can enjoy maybe a little fire in the hearth inside or at least the warmth of uh, family and friends or at least the food to keep you warm inside. And after you've been stuffed and overheated after all this wonderfulness, you can easily go to the back porch and like cool down a little bit because it's a nice Thanksgiving day. Uh, I like that. Uh, but probably the thing I look forward to most about Thanksgiving Day is that the next day in the Lowndes family, we can start to listen to Christmas music. Um, yes, we're that kind of a family. Uh, that's who we are. Uh, and I know that some of you have been playing Christmas music since like late August, but um, we um, will forgive you for that. Um, you know, we're, we're, we refuse to celebrate our Savior's birth until we've given thanks for everything else first, and then we can rejoice the Incarnation. No, but seriously, uh, I hope that you'll have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, whatever it looks like for you. Uh, what I want to do today is take some time to talk about Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about the day or the food or all the things that are surrounding it, but rather the act of giving thanks. So let me give, begin our time this morning, not where you're going to turn your Bible. I want you to listen to Psalm 92, 1 through 4. I'll pray, and then we'll start together. Listen to Psalm 92, one through four. This is the word of God. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be praised and glorified and held in reverence throughout all the earth. You are good. And everything that you've done is truly incredible. It's, it's magnificent. And your thoughts are, are truly divine beyond 
our limited, lowly, finite human minds to understand. And yet, you've spoken to us through your word, and most explicitly through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We acknowledge your kindness and your faithfulness to us, your covenant people. We worship and adore you for who you are and, Lord, for your sacrificial love. Would you speak to us now as we open your word, as we look to it to teach us and to correct us? Would you, by your Holy Spirit's divine power, turn our hearts to be trained in righteousness? Please do the work of equipping now, stirring up our affections for you, and Lord, preparing us for eternity. We trust you to work this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk about giving thanks today. I mean, we're here, right? We're at the beginning of the holiday season, and I don't know if this is, you know, what, what it's like for you, but this is like family trips. This is like going this place and that. There are work functions. There's a lot, a, a lot of food in this time. Um, Jordan and I sometimes talk about, like, once you get to mid-November, the rest of the year is gone. Like, don't even try to get someone to get something on the calendar until, like, the second week of January, because everyone is booked up with different functions from whether, again, like it's family or whether it's personal stuff or whether it's work stuff, it's all centered around eating and frivolity and rejoicing, which is, which is great. But to kick it all off, we have this coming weekend here, Thanksgiving. Uh, many people around the world hold this celebration of some sort, of some sort of gratitude and reflection each year. Uh, others have a slightly different focus. They don't necessarily call it Thanksgiving, but much of it actually centers around gathering together, considering what you have, having a more of a positive outlook about it, celebrating others as you recount the good things that you have. In a sense, I saw this terribly cheesy sign this morning on my way here. It said, get rich quick, count your blessings. Uh, I know. Oh, that's not my joke. That was on a church sign on my way here. So uh, some of you have probably seen it already. But as we do so, we, we recognize that uh, as we kind of take stock of it, it's not perfect, but it's probably one of the holidays that hasn't been overly commercialized to all center around us. But at least when people think about it, it's somewhat wholesome. It gets to the idea of trying to look past ourselves and have some sort of a grateful heart for the things that we do have. I mean, yes, we uh, certainly, when we think about American Thanksgiving, we think about football, we think about turkey, we think about pumpkin pie, we think about cornucopias. I don't know how that got mixed in there. But on the whole, when people like consider Thanksgiving, they try to like be serious about it, they normally have some sort of consideration about what they have, what they've been given, the things that are good about their life. And so in this way, it's a, it's a serious response of some type of positivity or gratitude, at least a positive outlook on what we have. And I think it's really interesting that most of the people in the world, both Christians and non-Christians, see the benefits of a day like this one, or at least the benefits of gratitude in general. Um, they know that living a life that's fully dedicated to me, 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 inward focused and negativity does not have long-lasting, positive, happy, and fulfillment benefits to it. And thus, a day like Thanksgiving makes sense like to even the secular mind, a day that, at its best, tries to focus on what we do have and not on the things that we don't have. 
This is a, a good thing. We should rejoice together. This is common grace that we would have a day even in this way. Instead of focusing on all the negativity, the, the good things. It's a good thing. In a sense, as Bren Rector says, we're thankful for this Thanksgiving Day, a way for us to remember and, and think of these things. So we should join with men and women of goodwill who celebrate good things, giving thanks, being grateful, having a, a positive attitude and a perspective of gratitude is good. And I would say, as we think about this, it's even a useful thing. I was reading this article uh, by Josh Brown and Joel Wong, they're two PhD professors in psychology and counseling, and their research shows that being grateful is actually very good for you. It's very good for you. They, they wrote this, Indeed, many studies over the past decade have found that people who consciously count their blessings tend to be happier and less depressed. They also say, uh, much of our time and energy is spent pursuing things we currently don't have. Gratitude reverses our priorities to help us appreciate the people and things that we do have. If, you, if you're at all familiar with this literature, maybe you've read it or maybe even just scrolled through it and understand some of it, you might have heard of this idea of gratitude journaling, like taking time out of your day to write things down that you're generally thankful for kind of a, a discipline of opening up a book with a pen in hand and journaling and being mindful and thankful for things. I mean, many psychologists claim that this is a very good thing for your mental health and overall positivity. It even has some physical benefits too. Uh, as I was doing this, I was kind of searching around the internet and I came across this thing from the Mayo Clinic. They actually put this into a program called Discover Gratitude. It's a, it's a program that will, they say will boost spirit increase happiness, and enhance health. I mean, what you do is you, you set aside a full month of time and you three things every day. Number one, you acknowledge something you're thankful for. Number two, you perform an act of kindness. Number three, you practice mindfulness of being in the present. And they claim that doing this exercise over time uh, will build your uh, resilience. It will help you, you know, your outlook to change. And ultimately, it will up your happiness too. These are great things. I mean, it's official, right? The doctors have told us. Gratitude is good for us. I mean, it seems like we should be good with that. Then This is a great thing, right? We're thankful for this. But maybe like, so I can see like a general disposition in this room, like, wait, is this what we came to hear? We came to hear like that Thanksgiving is good for us? That's it. It's great that there are mental health benefits and health benefits to being positive and grateful in general. But I think when we, uh, when we start to encourage one another to general thankfulness because it is good for us or because it's going to help our mental and physical health and make us better, guys, we've turned thankfulness on its head and it's turned into something that serves us, something where we are better off for being people of gratitude, where we experience betterment because we were people that said thank you. You see what I mean here, right? Like, like uh, the act of thanksgiving has been turned into something that benefits me. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you grew up going to vacation Bible school. Uh, I did, uh, maybe at a church somewhere. Um, sometimes there would be these different incentives, right? For if you memorize scripture, or maybe you memorize the books of the Bible, or you brought a friend to VBS. And if you do these certain things, maybe you collect tokens or something where you could spend it on getting these prizes, 
uh, these incentives to make it worth your time to, to get these things. I remember my, my parents took me to a, visit a church. They were seeing some friends, and this church had that very thing going on that night. I was, I was part of this thing and jumped right in. Well, I already knew, I already had the books of, of the Bible memorized, so I had that one right away. And I knew some of the verses that they were asking them to memorize, so I could lay those things out right away. And I even claimed my sister as someone that I had brought to VBS, which actually wasn't true since my parents brought both of us. But I was all about the incentives, right? I mean, I can remember this was a great program. I mean, I really wanted whatever was in that, that, on that table of incentives. I'm like, I actually can't remember at all what it actually was on that table, but it was pretty sweet. Like maybe it was like, you know, several plastic doodads from the, you know, like the Oriental Trading Company catalog, or maybe like some snap bracelets. I'm not really sure what it was, but I was all about it. And so I said the books of the Bible, and so I claimed my sister as one person I brought to, to hear about Jesus, and uh, I, I get, went ahead and I said the, the Bible verses. Now, I was doing these things not for my own spiritual benefit or because Jesus was worthy, but because I wanted the thing that would benefit me. I wanted that thing that would help me. I was motivated by these things. They're, they're good things, right? Uh, because of the numerous snap bracelets and worthless prizes that I could get out of this endeavor. Now, I, I want to realize that I'm not, I want you to realize I'm not making a point about incentivization here. That's not my point here in bringing this up. I'm simply trying to give us an illustration of what it looks like when we use gratitude for our own purposes. Something that was never meant for us, but yet we turn it on its head to serve ourselves. Can we all hear the madness in a statement like, Practice gratitude. I'm telling you, you're going to feel so much better. It really is going to boost your spirit and bring your happiness up, increase it all the more. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what kind of homes the people that say this stuff came from, but it wasn't the one that my mom was in. This was not the way it was. I, in my house, we, we thank people for anything and everything all the time. It was like a, a spiritual exercise to thank people no matter what. Uh, there's never an occasion that it was appropriate to not acknowledge something that someone else had done for you in some way. Whether it was a gift or whether it was someone who had you over for dinner or maybe it was someone who let you into traffic. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, that kind of a thing. I'm pretty sure that most of these times were not about boosting my spirit, but rather acknowledging, understanding that someone else had done something for me. I'm simply trying to point out that even our thanksgiving can totally miss the point of thanksgiving. We're not looking to just somehow make ourselves feel better or increase our happiness. Acknowledging something that someone else has done uh, is going to make us understand that it's not all about me. It's not all about you and yourself and I all the time. Now, I'm convinced that there are lots of us here that do not necessarily hold to this type of view of gratitude that we're just bought into pleasing ourselves all the time. But I want to make sure I mention it because we also do have an entire generation that doesn't know that yet. You need to hear your parents and the Bible say very clearly, it's not about you. It is about Christ and it is about your neighbor. He calls us to those things, the first greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. The second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So please, don't take gratitude and turn it on its head and make it all about you, but rather see it for what it is. 
I think that if most of us were asked about gratitude, we wouldn't hold to this idea. We would reject it overall and say, yeah, that's, that's not what gratitude's about. That's not what being thankful is about. So as we approach this Thanksgiving holiday, I want us to think what it is about. I want us to think about Thanksgiving from what the Bible actually says. As we hear people thank God, as we hear people call us to give thanks to God, I want us to hear what he has to say about what we are at the center of here in our Thanksgiving season. It's really a countercultural message, as I'm sure you can put together. I think that as the years move on, it will actually become more and more distinct. It'll probably morph into something more of like, I don't know, a positive day or a turkey day or something like that. And I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm just trying to say that what Jordan said earlier is exactly true. If there's no one to thank, it just becomes a holiday of good vibes and positive feelings in general. It's not what the Bible calls us to at all. It's a message that demands our worship and demands that we consider what the scriptures have to say so that we don't subtly adopt this understanding of thanksgiving that the world has. So to do this, I want to first talk about the problem of our ingratitude. And then secondly, I want to offer you a biblical solution to that problem. Let's start with the problem. The problem we are considering this morning is unthanksgiving, right? Like ingratitude, the fact that we don't thank God. Uh, you know, and you might say, you know, this, this really isn't that big of a problem for me. I mean, I thank God for my food before I eat. I thank God when good things happen to me. I, mean, I thank God for Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm thankful for so many different things. I, if anything I do when I pray, I, I thank him. That's good. And you, and you might join with me instead and say, Chris, you want to talk about ingratitude, uh, you should come over to my house and see my kids. Then we can talk ingratitude. I mean, I, I get it. I don't know if this happens at your house at all, but on cereal day, when there are only maybe two choices, all of a sudden, like the ingratitude just rears its ugly head so quickly. You've probably seen this, maybe. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, we'll just talk about this. Like two or three kids get there first, and they get the cereal, maybe they get the Honey Nut Cheerios that they wanted. But then by the time that the third or fourth kid comes, they're all gone somehow, and all that's left is like the less desirable, more healthy, like mini wheats or something like that. I'm not, not saying anything wrong about mini wheats, it's good. Um, my point is here, I'm just trying to illustrate, when the last kid gets there, he or she is quick to express how ungrateful he or she is to have a full bowl of cereal options with milk, mind you, a side of toast with real honey on it, and the comfort of a loving home that's climate controlled with loving parents, and uh, there are two more meals coming for them in that day. Yeah, ingratitude just rears an ugly head just like that, like it's no problem. I mean, it's easy, right? Real easy when we have the things that maybe we want so badly and kind of just totally neglect the things that we already have been given. What kind of stuff, though, maybe it's, that's your kids, right? What, what, about, what about you? What, what do you whine and fuss about? Maybe you're not so loud about it, but maybe this happens to you as well. I'll give you an example of my latest bout of personal ingratitude. Uh, this last week, I was setting out on my Monday morning it's kind of the day I've, I've really worked to try to take off doing like church job stuff if I can. Uh, and I wasn't even really like two hours into the day and I was like getting frustrated and uncomfortable with what was going on. I, I kind of started off the day normally, 
Uh, I you know, made a Thanksgiving blend coffee for myself, and I had taken the kids to school, and I cooked a fried egg. I mean, it was a, it was a good start to the day. I was thankful. Um, but then a few things that I knew were, were, were kind of catching up to me, I had to get done on that day and that morning from church. So I went into my study and started working. And of course, this happens to all of you, as I took my time to work through that, it kind of like unveiled other things that I had to get done and like, oh, I, I need to make sure this happens. And then, oh, I, I forgot to do that last time, so I had to make sure that happens. I got to answer this email. And all of a sudden, it's 1130, and I am like twisted and upset and kind of angry and irritable. And I, I haven't really thought through why. But like, I'm like, it's like almost lunch and I've done nothing on my day off. I've just been working for you, Lord, this whole time. Like, this is, it's, isn't this, can I have one day that's about me? I realize, like, just like that, that I, I, I'm not focused on what God has given me and all of what he's called me to as gift, but rather focus so easily on things that I don't have. And that maybe, it, maybe it shows itself in irritability or some sort of restlessness or frustration. But as I, I walked and prayed, I realized it was just straight up sin. Now, some of you who love me would come and say to me, and I'm thankful for this, you'd say, hey, you know, you just got to really keep that, that calendar clear on that day. Don't do that again to yourself. That, 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 that's good. Thank you for that. But can I just call out the sin problem? Can I call out the real issue there? It's not a part of like my organization. The problem is me. The problem is I'm not grateful at all. The problem is what I want what I want. And I recognize that ingratitude is one of the fruits that come out of a bitter root of sin. I don't want this. Of course, as time ticked on, I recognized what I needed to do was repent of my sin and actually trust Christ and be thankful for what he had given me. I mean, it's ugly when you see it for what it is, right? You realize that, you know, the God of the universe has given you all of this and you're upset about a few hours that you had to answer some emails and put together a few thoughts or whatever the case may be. I want you to turn to Romans 1 with me. Romans 1, 21 and you can keep your finger on Psalm 136 if you want. We'll end up there. But you and I need to look at a devastating text in Romans 1. We're going to drop right in in the middle of Paul's description of the unrighteous who know that there is a God, but they suppress this truth. Look at verse 21. Romans 1:21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, most of us have probably heard this verse before. We've probably read, maybe if we haven't read the whole book of Romans, uh, at least we've gotten through chapter 1 and we've read this. Or perhaps in your own Christian walk, you know this section because it's the section that tells unbelievers that they actually know that there is a God, but they suppress Him in unrighteousness. They don't want to acknowledge a real God. I mean, listen to verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now listen to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. When Paul describes unbelievers that are opposed to God, or even the idea of God, or the idea of being accountable to God, he calls them out for two things, not honoring God 
and not giving thanks to God. I take that to mean that there is a proper response for all those who know God, who understand that they were created by Him. That is honoring Him and thanking Him. Paul is pointing out here that one of the things that characterizes unbelievers, unbelievers, people who reject God, is a lack of giving thanks to God. Whoa! I mean, that ought to startle us. Because I think, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm alone, but I don't think so. I think that we think about thanksgiving, like giving thanks as like a, a nice to have, a thing that's just something that we do if we're, if we're nice folks. It's not a nice thing. It's not something to be more Southern. It's not something to like add to our repertoire of nice manners. That's not what we're talking about here. It's far more fundamental in our position as creatures before a creator. Giving thanks is a response to an eternally powerful creator who has shown his mercy to all men. So, let's talk about it. Let's apply it. Could it be said of you? Are you often actually marked by ingratitude? If, 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 if you can look at your own life, are you a person who is regularly thankful? Or do you complain? Do you whine about stuff? Do you commiserate with your fellow strugglers? and not acknowledge that God is over all, the creator who has his good hand on all things. Maybe it's your own inner response. Maybe it's not so much outward. Maybe it was more like what I said, where it was irritability and restlessness and anger and frustration. And sometimes it pops out and you're not really sure why. Perhaps it's something like that. You and I need to seriously consider what Paul says about a heart that does not give thanks to God. And we need to repent if we are taking this aspect lightly. But this should rightly make us ask the question, if this is the problem, what is the solution? I mean, is it just as easy as getting a gratitude journal and filling it every day? Well, not exactly, but I will say that the actual answer to our problem is giving thanks. But to do so, we need to make sure we are doing it according to what the Bible says. Make sure that you understand, I'm, I'm not giving you Chris's thoughts on Thanksgiving today. What I want us to do is hear directly from God that this is what he calls us to do as his people. He calls us to give thanks according to his word. The solution then to our ingratitude is thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about the day, I'm talking about the act of giving thanks to God. So this is what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to give you four things from this passage in Psalm 136 that will help us with the problem of ingratitude. These are the four things. One, we want to actually give a definition of what it means to give thanks. We want to answer the question, who are we thanking? We want to answer the question, why should we thank him? And then lastly, we just want to ask the question and answer it, how should we do it? How should we be giving thanks? So the first thing, let me give you a definition, not a formal definition, but let's talk about that idea of what it means to give thanks. Uh, if you look at the opening verses in Psalm 136, you're going to see it begins with this phrase, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And in the very last verse as well, give thanks. Uh, if you look carefully, you'll realize that this entire psalm is actually doing that thing over and over and over and over again. It's almost as though he drops those words, give thanks out, and he's just filling in the blank about all the things that God is, to the one who does this, to the one who does this, to the one who is like this. He's constantly saying, you could rightly say at the beginning of that, give thanks to, and finish it out. That's what he's doing this entire psalm. 
So it's right for us then to make sure that we understand what he means when he says, give thanks. Uh, the word give thanks, it's a, it's a single word in Hebrew. The single word there is a little bit different than in Psalm 135, if you were to turn the page back, which says, praise the Lord. A little bit of a different word here. Uh, very related, but not the same thing. Um, I, I was a bit surprised when I studied this, though, realizing that it's not like the word that you and I regularly use to thank one another, to somehow show, thank you for doing this or thank you for doing that. It's far more about attributing blame or causation. One scholar says it this way, the primary meaning of this root verb is to acknowledge or confess. So we're talking about acknowledging or confessing God's character and his works properly attributing it to the one and saying the same thing that he says. I think this inherently makes sense when we kind of consider the problem that we saw in Romans 1, right? The, the problem in Romans 1 isn't that we forget to say sorry, uh, thanks, like, oops, I should say thank you. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you. No, not at all. The problem wasn't that we forgot to offer a few words of thanks to God. Uh, the problem was that we did not acknowledge him and his character and his great and mighty works, and the fact that, therefore, we are responsible to respond to him as God. In other words, we did not confess him as God. We did not give thanks to him as the Lord of glory. In short, giving thanks is really about worship. It's about confessing the truth that God is God, that he has revealed himself, and who he says he is is who he is, and we say yes I thank you, I respond in confessing that you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, or as he says at the end, the God of heaven. I, I'm just going to ask you then, is, is this how we, how you thank God? Um, I had to think deeply about this. Do, do you acknowledge him as creator, as sustainer, as redeemer, as the Lord of all creation or maybe is it more that you thank him like a friend when a friend gives you a cup of coffee? Hey, thanks for buying lunch. That was great. That, that's good. We should be thankful. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about confessing that this is the Lord of all creation. He didn't just buy the cup of coffee. He made the cup of coffee. He made the plastic and all the stuff and all the, all the ground and the, everything from the beginning to end. He made everything about and delivered that hot to you. He created heat. He did everything and confessing and thanking him for being the God over all is much more than about thanking a friend for something that they did for you. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't thank one another. We obviously should. This is a good thing and a gracious way to interact with one another and to recognize. But when he talks about giving thanks to God, it is attributing causation and all honor and glory as who he says that he is. This is what we're talking about when we talk about an act of worship such as thanksgiving. That's the first part, but it moves us into the second part. Uh, who are we thanking? Now, I recognize that that should be like a, a simple one. In Psalm 136, though, we begin with three verses that proclaim the name of the Lord. Then at the end, even in verse 26, he does it again. He says, and I'm paraphrasing here, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords, and finally then he thanks God of heaven. Now, it might go without saying, but I will make the point that thanksgiving has an object. It's not a general positive vibe or feel. 
we see that it is to someone. And here in the scriptures, it's very clear. Attribute thanksgiving and confession to God, the one who is over all, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. In my, in my brief research this week on gratitude, I kept running into this objectless thanksgiving. It was just like, have a mind of thankfulness. That's so stupid. Just letting you know. No. Like you can say, be positive and be thankful for yourself or to yourself. This is, this is one of the things I, I, I read. One therapist said, the key is keeping deep gratitude at the forefront of our lives. It encompasses shared experiences, shared love, and an understanding that the universe has conspired to keep us happy and help us understand how connected we are to others. Yikes. Like, is that not Romans 121? Right? Who are we thanking? It's right to acknowledge people for the things that they have done. This is gracious and a right response, like we said. But the Bible is clear that our thanksgiving ought always have its end in God. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer and the Lord, the king of the entire universe. He upholds it by the word of his power. He will right all things that are wrong in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we look forward to what he will do. So our thanksgiving is to our God, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven, the one who has acted over and over and over again for his people, for his own glory and for their good. Which, of course, brings us to the third point. Why should we thank him? It may seem obvious again, but I want to answer the question that the psalm answers here, what he says. In Psalm 136, we have this monumental poem or song written for Israel to sing and to kind of rehearse, to remind themselves of the wonderful works and character of their sovereign Lord, Yahweh. I mean, it's quite a piece of literature if you look at it, and immediately you're going to notice that every part of every verse, the second line is over and over and over again, for the steadfast love, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now we're going to get to that, but I want us to see something. I'm going to read this text I think this is going to help us, so you're going to have to be patient with me for a moment. We're going to read through the whole thing. I want you to see, though, because if I just read it as it is, all you are going to hear, rightly so, is the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. I want you to hear the flow of the psalm, though. What's happening here is he's going to go and declare God's titles and characters in 1 through 3. He's going to talk about creation in 4 through 9. He's going to talk about the exodus or the redemption from Egypt in verses 10 through 16. He's going to talk about the conquering of the land or the, the gift of the inheritance in verses 17 through 22. And then in verses 23 through 25, we get a description of his loving care for his people in their distress. When the psalm ends, you'll see with a final explicit statement of thanksgiving to the God of heaven, another title. So listen for a moment. You can follow along if you want to or listen. I want you to see this flow as he begins to rehearse and recount all of God's goodness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to him who alone does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, who brought Israel out from among them, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his love endures forever. 
To him who divided, I can't even help it, sorry. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through it, the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down the great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Now I just read the entire psalm that accounted for the creating work of God, some of his names, his redeeming work, those things of redeeming his people and giving his blessing work of giving them inheritance, of his consistent shepherding love, And then the phrase that I left out about his steadfast love of the Lord being eternal is literally underneath every single statement. It's even underneath like the half statements. He's not even finished talking about what he wants to talk about and he puts it in there over and over and over and over again. Now you and I, I'll admit, if we're just to read this the same way, we'll probably get bored. I'm just being honest myself because we're not seeing it properly and how great and wonderful and sweet this truth is. The psalmist can't help, and he's making a point that you and I must understand. Riddled throughout all of eternity is the steadfast love of the Lord for his people. It's absolutely amazing. What undergirds God's work of creation, his work of redemption, his work of blessing and care and sustaining, it's the steadfast love of the Lord. It's his hesed love. It's, I, that's, a, that's, that's the word that's just used there is this covenant-keeping love for his people. Uh, this hesed love is rippled throughout every single detail of this psalm and declares to us that God is both very great, but he's also very personal. It's not just a, it's a, it's an attribute. It's an acting, sacrificial love that's connected to his people who he has made for his own glory and for their good. It's almost like the first three verses, he just declares the steadfast love of the Lord, and then with the rest of the psalm, he proves it. He shows over and over and over again that he was here. And what drove us to understand properly is that when we understand that his steadfast love endures forever, we recognize the heart of God. Guys, we should rejoice in this. We understand how small and and insignificant we are when we look at the grandeur of God. But as he shows us and declares to us his steadfast love, his covenant-keeping love, we're amazed at the fact that he would come and be so close to his people. I mean, where we stand right now, is is there no greater way to understand this than in Jesus Christ putting on flesh and dying for us? This is a beautiful thing that he would give us his hesed, uh, this this steadfast love of the Lord. If we were writing a psalm again, we would rightly not just talk about um, the exodus or the, the redemption from Egypt. We would talk about our redemption in Jesus Christ at the cross. We rightly would rejoice and make much of God's steadfast love that undergirds his ultimate and most glorious gift, the gift of the Son of God for his people. The crucified, risen, ascended King of glory who reigns at the right hand of the Father. 
Hallelujah. Thank God for his steadfast love. Confess with me that he is this Lord. I'm sure that you can uh, easily produce many different acts of God in your own life. Lots of good things that have happened to you. But the point here I want you to see is that under each and every providential work of God is his undying love and commitment to his people. Uh, maybe some of you have it at home, but the, the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it well. You've probably, if you've read it with your kids, you've probably, you're going to remember this phrase. Uh, he says this over and over again, describing this Hesed love. It says, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Man, sometimes the, the kids' writers get it right. That's so helpful. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. In other words, his love endures forever. If you were to go back now and reread what I just read to you from Psalm 136 and include it the way the psalmist wrote it, you would see exactly what I mean. Again, riddled throughout the whole thing, every part is the steadfast love of the Lord. This is what fuels proper thanksgiving or our giving thanks to God. Lastly, I want us to ask this question then, how should we do it? We all agree? Do we get to make the rules? How should we do this then? We already see how easy it is for us to put our own definitions and problems attached to this, but what does the Bible say? How should we give thanks to God? As we close up our time together today, I think we rightly need to turn to that question, so what? What is it to do? How do you walk out of here? What does the rest of the week look like for you? The psalmist calls us to give thanks to the Lord. But he also, if you notice this, I love this. He gives us a liturgy. Here it is. I'll bet you all have this book in your house. He shows us how to thank God, how to rightly solve the problem of ingratitude. He puts it out here in a plan, kind of a, a way for us to follow and understand, like this is what we should follow to start in this path of rightly acknowledging and confessing that God is who he says he is. His works, what he's talking about is taking these things and recounting them, even to ourselves. You've probably heard the, the saying, preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. That's exactly right. That is actually what he's doing here. You realize that. He's showing the faithfulness of God in every step of eternity. He's saying, recount these truths about who he is. His works in Israel's history, his works of creation, his works of redemption, his works of blessing and inheritance, his works of tenderness to his people throughout every stage of the grand story. In short, he's included something, if I can say it this way, of a Lord's prayer for us when we offer thanksgiving to God. We recognize it's, it's good to repeat the Lord's prayer, and it's right, but it also serves as a jumping off point for us to recognize how we approach the Father. So when we are ungrateful, when we are frustrated, when we're struggling with unbelief, can I call you then to recount the goodness of God and the Hesed love, that never stopping, never giving up, always forever love of our God? May I call you to use the Psalms? Mimic these Psalms. Use them, understand them, and live as one that is actually using them as their hymn book. Follow godly, Holy Spirit-inspired men who understood what it meant to give thanks to God. That's what we're, that's what we're looking at here, right? This is a Holy Spirit-inspired person who wrote down this Thanksgiving hymn. 
teaching us how to rightly battle ingratitude and to rightly give praise and adoration and credit to a God who deserves all. So I want to encourage you, as we approach this, this Thanksgiving holiday, um, it's good. I, I hope we enjoy all the different parts that this time of year offers to us. But I would call us from the scriptures to thank God on his terms. He receives all glory and honor. And we recognize what we have in his never stopping, never failing, never giving up always and forever love. I, I call you then to acknowledge and confess that this is the God of heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your greatness and your love. I thank you, Lord, that you show us who we are. I acknowledge, Lord, together that you are the God that you say you are. We confess with our mouths and we want to with our hearts too that you alone are God and we ask that you would teach us to worship. We consider all that you have made and done. Your works are very great. And we ask, God, that you teach us, therefore, to respond with a true heart that gives thanks and also one that lives in light of who you are. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We ask for more. Pour it on, Lord. Give us more and more and more blessing that we might rightly see who you are, that it would encourage us to repentance and faith and walking in obedience to you. Give us joy in you, Lord. We will depend on you. Help us in our weakness. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray.